I came from a very um, avant-garde documentary kind of filmmaking uh, world. I, I like cinema verite documentaries, and I like non-story, non-character um, tone poems uh, that were being done in San Francisco at that time. Within a couple months, I'd made a film that won a dozen international film festivals. And everybody else, and this was in a beginning class. I said, well, I know how to do this. This is easy. Then the next semester, I did a couple of more movies. Uh, one was a, a, a beginning project on uh, uh, somebody trying to escape East Germany. It was about freedom. Uh, another one was a little tone poem. Tone poems. This is Jason and Scabe. We're talking about the Phantom Menace tone poems. The tone poems of the Phantom Menace. Do you know what we're talking about? I hope you do. Well, and if you don't know, hopefully by the end of this episode, you will know. You're really going to know about the Phantom Menace tone poems. Well, and it's amazing to me. It's been all these years of Blast Points and we're just now... Over 300 episodes in getting to the tone poems because these are about as blast points as you can get as far as blast points things. Uh, we love the tone poems. We've always loved the tone poems. And we have been just dying to talk about the tone poems. I think it's so blast points that maybe all we already assumed that like, maybe it was too easy for, you know, it's like the tone poems. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That that would be simple. But it's, why did it take this long? I, I feel like we just thought we already did an episode about the tone poems and we just forgot. <laughs> it, maybe it's something that we've always talked about a lot or just casually mentioned or played in episodes like, oh, yeah, it's like the tone poems or quoted them, but never really thinking, oh, we should do a whole episode about the tone poems. But here we are. It's 2023. Hey, it's time for the tone poems episode. So first off, basic information. What? are the Phantom Menace tone poems. If someone's listening to this and they're like, I don't know what the heck you guys are talking about. Well, at the most basic level, they're like a mini 
preview trailer clips for the Phantom Menace, but as opposed to just showing actual scenes from the movie and dialogue from the movie, it's scenes from the movie with an actual spoken almost poem over it within the character's own voice, because it's not dialogue from the movies. It's not a scene from the movies. It's Anakin Skywalker, Qui-Gon Jinn, Shmi Skywalker, Darth Maul, Queen Amidala talking about their character, talking about themselves over this footage. It's absolutely wild concept. No one has ever done anything like before that or since then. It kind of goes hand in hand with the marketing of Phantom Menace, which we're going to get into and how bonkers that was. But it's a thing, too. It's like I can't remember when I first saw these. I don't know if I remember seeing them on TV ever. I think the first time I ever saw them was the Phantom Menace DVD. I feel like I at least saw one or two of them on TV. Like, it feels like one of those things where I didn't realize there were so many until the DVD. But, and I swear, like, the Darth Maul one or the Shmi one or something that I had seen that on TV beforehand. But yeah, it is all kind of a blur at this point, especially once once the DVD came out and, you know, you just watch them over and over again, just kind of burns itself into your brain. The day that that Phantom Menace DVD came out, also, it's a real blur because that, as longtime listeners remember, that's the day I ate an entire box of Krispy Kreme donuts when I got the DVD first thing in the morning and passed, literally passed out in the afternoon. <laughs> Krispy Kreme are good. It's easy to do. They just melt in your mouth. I ate a whole box. Freaked out. I was like going nuts because that Phantom Menace DVD was so good. And I ate this whole box and literally I got like a crazy sugar rush. Felt like I was going to die and then just collapsed. (laughs) Wake up like hours later. I got to keep watching Phantom Menace. I've got a raging headache. But (laughs) yeah, you didn't you didn't realize you needed to eat something savory to balance all the sweetness in the DVD. In the meantime, though, the the tone poem trailers have in the 20 years since The Phantom Menace has come out, they've kind of become legendary. Like people talk about them a lot and reference them a lot. And the whole thing that they're called the tone poems, which we're going to be getting into. Like if you've ever watched an interview with George Lucas or read anything where he's ever talked about movies or anything, he always talks about these tone poems either in describing the movies he made at USC when he was in college or talking about the kind of things he imagined he would have been doing instead of Star Wars or the things he thought he was going to do after Star Wars. Like, oh, I'll do some weird stuff, some tone poems like I did in college, tone poems. And I think as Star Wars fans, like tone poems have just become just like a phrase that we throw around, like we know what we're talking about. But actually, like, what are tone poems? And it feels like one of those things, too, that, yeah, even people who use the term, like it might be one of those things where there's there's more than one meaning, but the other meanings aren't really official meanings. Because like the dictionary meaning is an instrumental composition intended to portray a particular story, scene, mood, etc. And what's kind of interesting is I think the definition makes it seem very literal in a way, almost where it's like this song is about this thing. But I feel like a lot of times the term is used 
to represent something that's more abstract, which is kind of not what the definition is. Because when George Lucas talks about it with some of his, you know, earlier films that are more about images and motion and they're not necessarily a literal story, that's actually not really what the dictionary definition is. But when we get into the Phantom Menace tone poems, they're almost a mix between the two because it is in a way more of the musical definition where it they're each about a character and that character what's the gist what's the basic essence of this character in the phantom menace like what are who are they what are they doing why are they doing it and it's all condensed into this almost literal written poem that the character is saying at a talk with i think the tribeca film festival in 2015 george lucas talked about his Early days shooting a documentary about the the making of the movie McKenna's Gold, uh, which ended up becoming his very abstract short film, 61867. Great title. And while he was there with, I think it was like other USC students, they were hired to all shoot these like behind the scenes things and they made more straightforward behind the scenes Hollywood documentary kind of things. And Lucas wanted to make something much weirder about a man's relationship with the desert. And it was like six minutes of just abstract images and sounds. And he called that a tone poem. But what's interesting kind of thinking about like Lucas being more interested in this basic kind of thing of people making this Hollywood movie and he making it a story about a man's relationship with the desert. I and mean, that makes me think of... A New Hope and just in general and like the shots of like 3PO and R2 in the desert and what could have been just more of a straightforward space opera sci-fi adventure movie took these weird deviations of droids bickering in the desert and lots of shots of sand dunes and stuff. It's that weird level of outside the box thinking that makes Star Wars Star Wars and that's kind of like his tone poem way of thinking. Yeah, it's almost the the George Lucas definition is more of a an abstract thing of there's a story, but it's not a literal narrative story. It's a they're visuals that invoke feelings. It's Jedi thinking. It's feel don't think. Right. It's it's vi- it's visuals that make you feel and not think literally about what's happening. It's not about the people in the desert. It's about what the people in the desert make you feel. And it, there's an interesting thing in the book, uh, The Cinema of George Lucas, where Lucas talks about his, well, another one of his college short films that also has a great title, 14208, <laughs> where it's a short film that's all about acclaimed race car driver Pete Brock. And in The Cinema of George Lucas book, he calls it a visual tone poem. It has no dialogue, no narration, And the book suggests that a lot of the critique of some of Lucas's short films when he was in college, that because they were so non-narrative and just like like you were saying, more feel, don't think, that they were criticized as being highly accomplished technical exercises. But to him, like you said, they were more exploring complex themes. And, you know, how many times have you we heard Star Wars be criticized as just highly accomplished technical exercises. It's not about spaceships. It's about that the car is yellow. 
you know, we joke, but it's true how everything, if you know, across the board is so meticulously thought out. It's what we obsess over. And even him staring at a maquette of Dexter Jetster from side to side, yeah. you know, like, I like this, but could do a little bit more of that. And it's all what he thinks looks cool, but also what he wants you to feel. Yeah, there's a lot of that snuck in the prequels. Well, and he did a lot of producing stuff of the Godfrey Reggio, the Philip Glass, the the Quasti, Quasti trilogy, produced a, like at least a couple of those, like Quiana Skotsky. Am I pronouncing that right? Nobody knows. <laughs> that might be the best you've pronounced anything, possibly. <laughs> the Canon Group presents a Golan Globus production of a Francis Ford Coppola and George Lucas presentation. A new film from the director of Quiana Skotsky, Godfrey Reggio, in collaboration with Philip Glass. But if you've ever seen those, they, those are visual tone poems. Those are non-narrative storytelling that are driven by strictly images and Philip Glass's music. They're wild. They're a trip. I saw one on HBO once when I was a kid, and I was like, what am I watching? George Lucas produced this. Holy smokes. But it's interesting that the Phantom Menace tone poems, these TV commercials for the, for, for the first prequel, are the things that, like, if you Google search... George Lucas tone poems, these come up right away. So how did they come about? We've got to go back to May of 1999 and once again talk about the marketing, the insane marketing of The Phantom Menace. Star Wars coming back wasn't a normal thing. It's not a normal movie. It's a Star Wars movie. And it's a Star Wars movie. We haven't had one in a new one in, what, 15 years at that point. You got to remember, too, the thing that Lucasfilm, even though it's Star Wars and Star Wars is a big deal, Lucasfilm is not a huge company. It's an independent film, technically, but they need to market this movie. And and the thing that's always crazy to think about now is at the time, even after the special editions, like they still didn't know if people cared about new Star Wars. So they went a little overboard with the marketing. But because of that, they kind of, it seems like they were willing to try anything and everything, which gave us some of these really unique marketing approaches. Like you got the craziness of Marfa Lump, but you also have something like this where, yeah, they're trailers, but they're not trailers. And like we said, there really hasn't been anything like this that I know of since then, as far as marketing films. And if anything, movies have gotten even farther away from something like this, where it's its own little piece of, like a little mini narrative story about a movie instead of being a scene from the movie. We did a whole episode back when we did Phantom Menace year, a couple of years back all about like this whole period of time. And it really is wild to think about like kind of stepping away from it because we, we lived through it and we were at the, to the center of the tornado of the Phantom Menace marketing. Like, it's weird to think about yeah, you know, like how the script came out like two weeks before the movie came out. The novelization was on shelves before the movie came out. Just how crazy that marketing was. And like it, there'd be different kinds of trailers playing on TV at different times of day. Like at night you would see like a more action trailer. Like maybe during the day you would see one of the tone poems or something. Maybe, I don't know. Because you got to imagine, how terrifying was it? Like, what if Phantom Menace bombed? Like, really? We wouldn't be talking today. Like, there would not be the Mandalorian or Andor. 
Yeah, there might not even have been an Attack of the Clones. <laughs> How did the tone poems come about? Well, Pablo Hidalgo of Lucasfilm said not too long ago on Twitter that they were by Jim Ward, who was the then vice president of marketing at Lucasfilm, which that was kind of fascinating because I think like at least you and I had thrown around the theory for years that maybe George Lucas wrote these tone poems because they're so poetic, you know, and they're so Star Warsy, and where they're kind of getting to into the psyche of these characters, like you were saying. But no, it was Jim Ward. It was the vice president of marketing. Or was it? Because we recently reached out to our friend and possible wizard, Star Wars maniac, the legendary Dr. David West Reynolds, who was there. He was in the Lucasfilm marketing department during that lead up to The Phantom Menace. And he had this to say about the creation of the tone poems. He says they were just one part of the program generated by our marketing team in the Brook House. The video projects like the tone poems and the trailer and the MTV music video were edited at Skywalker Sound. And I was going back and forth all the time since I was right in the middle of all that. For the tone poems, several of us contributed ideas and Jim Ward made the final selections. We were so productive on that campaign that I remember seeing leftover trailer and promo ideas I had suggested for episode one being used for later prequels. So according to Dr. David West Reynolds, it kind of sounds like it was more of a team effort with kind of creating the tone poems. Yeah, and like you said, Jim Ward kind of then went through and selected some of the best ones. They got some of the, the actors from The Phantom Menace to record the lines. Well, and it is interesting in, in hindsight, too, that of the eight tone poems that came out, five of them are the characters as themselves. But then there are three that are kind of a narrator talking about the character. So it does almost seem like there were, it's almost like there's different tiers of of them. And maybe some of the ones, you know, maybe that kind of explains who who wrote which, that they were written by different people. And that's why some kind of feel more like the character and some feel more like someone talking about the character. I don't know. It's 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 a mystery. Yeah, David also went on to say that People don't tend to recall now in the wake of the massive prequel success that there was a lot of uncertainty about whether Star Wars would be really popular again before our marketing team did our work to give the film the best possible chance of positive reception. At the time I started working at the ranch, George was sometimes being called a creepy Howard Hughes recluse, and the success of the film was by no means assured. Regarding the marketing, Lucasfilm president Gordon Radley had Jim and me in his office at the beginning, basically saying in a very stern manner that he was terrified of the amount of marketing Jim wanted to do because there was so much potential for it to go massively wrong. He said, frankly, that he thought we could kill the film if we made a misstep. So much was riding on us getting it right. God, that's so fascinating, isn't it? Yeah, it's the thing. It's, you know, again, it's so hard for our people who weren't involved in making that film to even think that there was a chance that people wouldn't be interested in star Wars anymore. And it's also, I think really interesting that in a way they did go too far in the marketing as far as the licensing and, and how much Phantom Menace stuff you could get was kind of overwhelming. But as far as the actual film part of marketing the movie to people, seems like they did it right because that original trailer is still one of probably the best teaser trailers 
ever. Oh, of all time ever. When we were at the panel at Celebration Chicago and they played that that Phantom Menace teaser trailer, the crowd went nuts like it literally was 1999 all over again. And yeah, that that first trailer was a, was a phenomenon in itself. Looking back at the amount of Phantom Menace stuff, like now it almost seems charming because it's, you know, we're 20 plus years out. But like we said over and over again, everything depended on this movie and they had no idea how this was going to work. And, you know, let's be honest, we love the Phantom Menace with our heart and soul 100%, but it's a weird movie, (laughs) you know? It's not star wars or the empire strikes back or return of the jedi it's funky we love it 100 percent, but it's funky and you know people were probably scared yeah and that's i think one of the things that's really nice with these tone poems is it does in a way give you more information about the characters than you might get in the movie especially the darth maul one like he has more lines in the tone poem than he has in the entire film if you think about someone who is not familiar with star wars going into the phantom menace it's like even a wilder ride so maybe these were an idea of you know let's get people who might not even know what this star wars thing is an idea of who these people are before they basically get dropped right into this wacky adventure in a way the tone poems are like weirdly the best trailers for Phantom Menace because they really kind of do cover all the different kind of aspects of the Phantom Menace and they're really weird. And it's kind of in that way, it's a representation of the Phantom Menace. Like what, what am I even watching here? (laughs) Cause that's kind of the movie. Well, another thing that's really kind of clever too, though, is it's like, it gives you more information about the movie and the story than you would necessarily get from a normal trailer and it also doesn't give away the actual scenes from the film like it's because sometimes you'll get a trailer i think back to the uh force awakens couple teasers where there wasn't like no dialogue or talking you know or like there was no like actual scene from the movie of like what is it even going to be like with these characters talking to each other right like it's just visuals and you know in a word here or there or, or is it snoke or just andy circus narration kind of thing and these kind of are that sort of a thing where it's like, it's not really giving away the movie, but it's telling you what the movie is. So you're getting more information, but not giving away the surprises in a way. And the whole thing, too, with the tone poems, it's become almost like a joke and a meme on, on the internet of the George Lucas talking about Star Wars. It's like poetry. It rhymes. It's been done a million times. But the thing is, it's true that the movies are poetic in their nature. Things repeat. You know, that was happening in the sequels and the prequels and the original trilogy. Themes repeat. Characters, interactions, colors, all kinds of things, design, mood. And that's kind of the neat things, like, as we're about to go into these tone poems, that 
at the heart of this whole weird thing, especially the Skywalker saga, is this kind of poetic nature. Well, it's it's the the poem thing too goes back to you know we always talk about the Joseph Campbell myths and legends and all that stuff, but like epic poetry is a thing of like all the ancient Greek stuff, and those are all they're poems about you know extraordinary deeds and heroes and gods and that sort of stuff. So I mean, there's a little bit of that in the Star Wars DNA. I mean, they're a visual representation of what could you know, a thousand years ago have been in uh, a poem. It's not just a joke. <laughs> I felt that. And it was a strange thing, because I felt that that was right, and I put that that way, and I felt it when I ran it. Mm-hmm. I felt it, and I said, yeah, that works. And... Uh, when you get into a bigger film, it becomes an extremely difficult thing to do. When you're in a little controlled situation, you can put something in that you feel. Yeah. And it's very easy to do uh, because the, the, what you're dealing with is fluid enough to where there's no set rigid things that you have to meet. If you try to explain that to a uh, studio executive that it feels right, they go crazy. Uh-huh. And they say, and because they don't feel it, because I don't think they feel anything. are going to listen to each of the tone poems right along with all of you. We're going to talk about each one afterwards. How are they connected? How are they tone poems? Okay, so let's start with One Love. Don't look back before you go. Eyes forward choices to make, dreams to realize, don't look back before you go, know the truth, learn to let go, don't look back before you go, before you leave. Me. That one's hot. That, that might be my favorite one. Not not to do the best first, but that one is really good. She's such a great actress, and just just letting her do her thing with the poem. Pranella August, Shmi Skywalker, superstar, and yeah, the music is perfect in that one. And I love the the last line where she waits to say me just to just to rub it in. It's not bad enough that you're leaving. She's you're leaving me. You get goosebumps every time. Still, all these years later. Well, and think about starting with that. Like, is there a moment bigger in the Skywalker saga than little Anakin Skywalker going off of Qui Gon Jinn to be a Jedi and saying goodbye to Shmi? Like that is a massive moment that ripples throughout the next eight movies. It's almost like if this was the novelization where 
this tone poem is giving us Shmi's point of view and her thoughts about that scene, where in the film it's focused on Anakin and Anakin's thoughts and what Anakin's feeling. And it's crazy to think that this is like marketing and I haven't seen the movie yet, but I'm actually getting like a novel information of the character's point of view that I'm not going to get in the film. And I think that's what makes these so special and so different is it's like they're almost enhancements or like companions to the film. They're not just clips. And just riffing off the Shmi's one line, don't look back, eyes forward. Don't almost don't worry about me. You go do your life. But we watching this tone poem, even we know that's Anakin Skywalker. That's the watching the film. You know what's going on here. You know that. You know it's kind of tragic. It's one thing that he's leaving his life and he's leaving Tatooine and he's going off on Qui Gon. But the the you know the me is like no, he's leaving his mom, which is like even more intense. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's go on to the next one. That was just our first one. Yeah, starting hot. Yeah. Oof. Oof. Here we go. One dream. What if dreams came true and you could be who you wanted to be? You could do what you wanted to do and you could help who you wanted to help. What if dreams came true and the world opened up and you were never, ever afraid? dreams came true but dreams do come true don't they Ooh. remember i said the last one was my favorite maybe this one's my favorite they might all be my favorites really this one's so good this is the one i think i think about the most though i really do i think about this one all the time you got little jake lloyd talking in in character as anakin it's you know you got that melancholy Anik John Williams Anakin theme going on, and yeah, what dreams come true? You could be, you could help you wanted to help, you could be who you wanted to be, and then dreams do come true, don't they? And then you hear that Vader riff that's in Anakin's theme. Well, and they show Darth Maul too. Like it's all like fun adventure stuff, and it's like, do his dreams come true? And then they show, well maybe not how you hope we get the yeah we get this music we get the darth maul like yeah the images in the in the words are working together even though the images aren't necessarily directly related to the words which i think is you know what makes them tone poems and their and their idea of what a tone poem is in the george lucas way yeah it's so good because it's like it's just riffing on concepts like we said that exist in the phantom menace but in this yeah kind of very abstract kind of way i would love to show these to someone who's never watched the phantom menace and just show them all to someone and be like what, what do you think this movie is about that would be fascinating because me watching just those two right now is just reminding me why i love the phantom menace so much and why i went to go see it so many freaking times during the summer of 1999 because these first two that we watched are sad they're really kind of sad but they're they're like masquerading as kind of like this like mother and child kind of like love thing. But that's what I loved about Phantom Menace so much because I was like, oh, people were just like, oh, it's for kids and it's goofy and it's silly. And it's like, yeah, it is. But it's also like really sad if you pay attention to like what's going on. And if you have even the faintest idea of where the story's going to go, like if you go back and watch Phantom Menace now, it's really kind of heartbreaking. 
Yeah. Well, and that's all here in the, in the Anakin thing. It's like, yes, you know, what if your dreams come true and his dreams do come true, but they come true too quickly. And, and after that, they all kind of come crashing down. And it's like, it's almost, it's like, be careful what you wish for kind of a thing because it might come true and it might not be exactly the way you thought it was going to be. And bouncing one dream right after one love where starting out with Shmi saying, before you leave me, and then, yeah, the kind of the Anakin's dreams falling apart, you know, the death of Shmi and he wasn't strong enough to save her and he wasn't there and all that stuff. And the the effect that has on Anakin is huge. Well, and even, you know, here before Phantom Menace is even out, they're going deep in the uh, with the and you were never ever afraid, like right there getting into <sighs> the whole his whole character all the way through Revenge of the Sith is like he's afraid of losing people and that's how he becomes Darth Vader and we're we're kind of that's setting that up here before you even know that you're be, it's being set up and the movie hasn't even come out yet and it's like yeah that's where it's, it's these are just so neat it's all about the ending of Return of the Jedi too somehow <laughs> so okay that's yeah we, we, we don't have time we don't have time to get into that okay here's the next one one destiny It will be a hard life, one without reward, without remorse, without regret. A path will be placed before you. The choice is yours alone. Do what you think you cannot do. It will be a hard life, but you will find out who you are. Lordy, lordy. They're all so good. They really are. Think about that one, too. Think about that. Qui-Gon Jinn. It will be a hard life, but you... What does he say at the end? You will f- you will find out who you are? It's like, have you ever seen Return of the Jedi? God. I like the part, too, that you think, you know, this is before Attack of the Clones and, and you know, Jedi can't love and all that stuff. And it's like the life of a Jedi. There's no reward. There's no remorse. There's no regret. It's almost like... There's no emotion. You're beyond emotion. There's no good. There's no bad. There's just the will of the force. It's almost like Qui-Gon telling Anakin, this is the world you're going into. If I'm taking you back to Coruscant, if you're going to be a Jedi, this is the life you're going to have to live. I mean, Qui-Gon, he's, you know, the uber Jedi, and he's figured out beyond that. He knows stuff nobody else knows. Yeah, but I think that's really... That is kind of the Qui-Gon thing is it's like he he does what he does because it's the right thing to do and it's what the Force wants. So he's not doing it to get rewarded or feel good about it. He's not going to feel bad about mistakes or things that happened. He's not going to regret what he did because what he does is what the Force wants. It's not what the Jedi Council wants. It's not what he wants. It's what needs to be done. Yeah, like he says to Obi-Wan, I will do what I must. And again we're getting all this really kind of deep character stuff before the movie even came out. It's so good. All right. Should we go to the next one? One will. What's this about? Let's find out. There are things I cannot do. I cannot watch while people suffer. I cannot sit when something must be done. I cannot judge those who are different. There are things I cannot do. 
Run. Hide. Ignore. There are things I cannot do, but there are certainly things I will do. Ooh. We got Queen Amidala happening there. This one's extra fun, too, because this is like a slightly different Queen Amidala accent, but it's it adds to the charm. Well, and we've moved away from kind of the the Anakin Qui-Gon Shmi story here, and we're kind of going into the other characters of the Phantom Menace. But I like this because the it's I don't know, it's just a brilliant kind of sum up of her character. And I think that's kind of like what we were saying, like why the so many people, including us for the long time, believe that George Lucas wrote these. And maybe Lucas did have a hand in these. Who knows? Well, and they're all they're all springing off of lines and parts in the script though so it's like they're not out of thin air right like i mean hers is a good example it's like she says more or less there are things i cannot do in the movie and how she doesn't want to see her people suffer but then this just kind of you know elaborates on it and again it's like it's like her internal monologue to herself of saying you know who she is what she believes She's not going to do these things that are wrong, but she is going to do what she believes is right. And the music change when she says there are certainly things I will do is so great, too. Where it's like, and then, yeah, there, there she is, you know, zip lining up a building and all that stuff. It's like, yeah, she's going to talk until talking doesn't work. And then she's going to do what needs to be done. So good. All right, let's go on to the next one. One truth. Fear. Fear attracts the fearful, the strong, the weak, the innocent, the corrupt. Fear. Fear is my ally. You know what's interesting about that one? There's a lot of stuff that's interesting about that one. It's Darth Maul talking about fear but it's called one truth like what do you what's the connection there well i think the one truth is what he's saying is fear fear is like that's the you know that's kind of the key to the whole the prequels it's like anakin's fear is ultimately what drives him to become darth vader it's the you know the yoda Fear leads to hatred, anger, all that thing. It's kind of a, you know, if it, it's like the one truth of the prequels. We got a tone poem here because think back yeah, to the first one with, with Shmi, where she's saying, like, don't be afraid. Yeah. Well, and Anakin saying, what if you were never afraid? Because he's always afraid, but he doesn't admit it. Where Maul, you know, that's Maul's fear is my ally. He, he wants the fear. It's the dark side. Yeah, it's almost like it's it's Maul like reciting like the Sith manifesto. Yeah, we prey on fear. Fear is our friend. That's what makes us Sith. Yeah, and it's wild. Like Peter, I can't ever pronounce his last name. The original Darth Maul voice. Everyone listening to Blast Point right now knows who we're talking about. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. This is the most dialogue he has as Darth Maul because in the movie he. He's, he just says, you know, unless we'll have our revenge, right? Like, so again, it's like, it's like we're getting the, the novelization of Phantom Menace and we're getting these like internal dialogues of, of Darth Maul saying his Sith prayer. And it's just, 
it's just really cool. And it, and I could see where you go see the movie and you're like, wait, he doesn't say any of this stuff. But I mean, that's what makes it so cool is it's like instead of, you know, a scene being cut out of a trailer or seen in the trailer that's not in the movie, like this is a whole, this is not even attempting to be the movie. You know, Sam Witwer was studying this tone poem trailer and it, some of you talking about that reminded me of those great episode one books, the, uh, the journals. Remember that? Where it was like the Darth Maul journal that was all written from his point of view. And there was the queen Amidala journal and stuff. Yeah. I don't know. I'm bugging out here kind of because I don't think I've ever watched all of these in a row since maybe the day that the DVD came out, the connections between them of like, we talk about all the time, like the, the star Wars major food groups or the, the major food groups of the prequels. Like you were saying like fear. And yeah, I'm ready to stop and start watching Phantom Menace. I I'm always ready. Always. <laughs> you, somebody wake me up in the middle of the night. The, the house could be on fire. And someone be like, wow, this place burns down. Do you want to put on Phantom Menace? I'd be like, well, that's that sounds like a good idea to me. Like That's why the house is on fire, because I had Phantom Menace on, and that movie's hot. Okay, here we go. The next one, Only Hope, which this is interesting. This is the first one that isn't one blank. This is Only Hope. So let's check this out. In a palace of dreams, a queen stands alone. In her wisdom is the one chance to save her people. She is strong. She is determined. She is their only hope. That's that's a weird one. Yeah, these next three are the are the different ones that they're the same idea, but they're a narrator, and the narrator is talking about the character instead of the character talking about themselves. And they're like really short. These are like half as long. These are weird because I don't remember these ones as as well as the as the the five character ones. It's almost like these have like more of like a yeah like a storybook quality to them. Yeah, you're right. They really do. Yeah, it is. It's like it's like an excerpt from the book on cassette of Phantom Menace. You can read along with C-3PO and me in your book. You will notice time to turn the page when you hear R2D2 beep like this. Let's begin now. Okay, let's move on to One Friend, which is, funny enough, more than the amount of friends I had during the summer of 1999 when I went to go see The Phantom Menace 37 times in the movie theater. Phantom Menace was your one friend. (laughs) And that's the truth. Yeah, it's the only friend you needed. I was sitting in the theater with with some Twizzlers. It's just me and you. You're all I need, Phantom Menace. Okay, here we go. Sometimes, the one who's clumsy, different, or even a little strange, just might be the friend you're looking for. These are real weird. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's extra weird because if if you look up the tone poems anywhere in this, maybe it's just because Wikipedia has it this way, but the, the YouTube video has it too, that it's like, when they write out the the words, it's like written in Jar Jar speak. But the you know the nice lady who's narrating these is not using Jar Jar speak, so I don't know where that came from. If they're written somewhere, and was there ever supposed to be a version in, in Jar Jar's voice, and just they didn't think people could handle it? I wonder why they didn't just do Ahmed Best. Yeah, maybe like you said, maybe it was too extreme. 
and maybe people were getting like cold feet or something like do we go that we're already doing the tone poems and that this is wacky but do we get in full full jar jar i don't know yeah because it's interesting and, and not to i guess i'm jumping ahead a little bit but uh there isn't a jar jar or obi-wan one where they're talking right like they're the only two main characters who don't get a talking about themselves tone poem. But I guess in a way they're kind of the secondary characters to the main four. But it's weird that Darth Maul got one when he doesn't even talk in the movie. <laughs> you know, it's interesting where, you know, in hindsight, maybe, you know, we think these are so good because they are, but they're also, you know, from what we've found out, potentially kind of just thrown together. And that's why it doesn't necessarily make sense why some are some way and some are another, because they just, they had what they had and they did what they did with them. I almost feel like with Darth Maul, it's like they had to, I mean, Darth Maul's face was on all the toys. Darth Maul was like for a a lot of the marketing, like the face that they were marketing the movie on. The fact that he got this commercial is one of the coolest things, (laughs) you know, it's crazy. But, Let's check out our last one, Stand Alone. Here we go. In a time of change, a young man holds in his hands the fire of a dying age. To take the step from student to master, he must trust himself to stand alone. I think this is like the weirdest one. Yeah, I would have really liked one with Ewan McGregor. I mean, imagine Ewan McGregor saying something like that, like, I must stand alone. That would have been like kind of heavy and really cool. Yeah, because otherwise this one, yeah, it's just kind of really strange because it's like that just that first sentence does not sound like Star Wars to me. In a time of change, a young man holds in his hands the fire of a dying age. Yeah, that's weird. Especially because, you know, the earlier ones, like we said, we were we wouldn't have been surprised if if George Lucas wrote them, right? Like, not that because they're like the most incredible writing ever but they they feel like the characters they feel like the movie they feel like something that those characters could have said in the movie where these start to uh really it's just this one (laughs) this one's just like the weirdest one like maybe they yeah they it's like we have all these we need something for obi-wan and this was all they could come up with in time but also phantom menace time obi-wan we didn't know anything and they only knew what was in the movie and what's in the movie is not much yeah and that's the fascinating thing looking back at obi-wan in the phantom menace yeah they did he he was kind of defiant of qui-gon he was kind of brash exactly kind of what he had to be but it really isn't until attack of the clones where the definition of obi-wan still as we know him today with the show and kind of everything he what he used to be versus who the Alec Guinness, a new hope Obi-Wan was that whole transition that really didn't start until attack of the clones really. But there's, there's something kind of really fun and charming about Phantom Menace, Obi-Wan young hotshot, Ewan McGregor with his spiky hair and stuff. Well, overall, how do you view these as a whole as a tone poem for the Phantom Menace? I mean, going back, I do feel like those first five, are a thing and they're incredible and they still, you know, hold up to this day and make me want to immediately put the movie in the last three feel more like kind of a, a TV, a traditional, you know, maybe a TV spot or, you know, an older school trailer with a narrator, you know, telling you what's going on. They're cool, but they're not 
at the level those first five are. Those first five are their classics. Yeah, they make you still to this day think about the Phantom Menace and think about the prequels and think about the ending of Return of the Jedi. <laughs> They're insane, awesome. Yeah, and the you know the last ones are are good too. They're still weird TV commercials for a giant blockbuster movie, you know, in perspective, but you got to hand it to Jim Ward and that whole crew that were marketing the Phantom Menace though, that they tried something this outrageous. And I mean, how many TV commercials for a 20 plus year old movie are people still talking about to the point where Pablo Hidalgo has to like clarify who was responsible for them. And we're bugging Dr. David West Reynolds about it. The tone poems have had quite a legacy. Well, and they're they're really kind of classy too. Like you know, Phantom Menace is not necessarily known as like the classy Star Wars movie, but these tone poems really are. Like they're kind of artsy. They're kind of I could see you know the Lucas Museum should have a room where there's just those five tone poems like playing on TVs on loop, and you just go and walk around you know and hmm oh yes interesting and then you know <laughs> go drink some some red wine and uh smoke cigarettes and talk about it in french one of you go back to the the roots of it all too of the george lucas the non-narrative filmmaker i want to make tone poems and stuff like i was saying if you showed those first five especially to someone who never saw the phantom menace you are getting this kind of weird abstract non-narrative just kind of small bursts of words explanation of what the Phantom Menace is like what the, the big ideas in the movie are like, they're barely showing like the pod race or lightsaber fights or the big, you know, the big selling tickets, the I, like aspects of the Phantom Menace. It's more about themes and mood and stuff. What a bold, crazy idea. And they didn't even do one for Wado. I, I know there's no CO Bibble. It's outrageous. Yeah, Bibble, Bibble would have tore it up in a tone poem. What if Watto got a sad one about Anakin leaving? Like, the boy, the boy, you don't sweep in the shop. <laughs> if they would have done him for Attack of the Clones, there would have been a Watto one. I got a hat, and then the boy shows up, and he's a Jedi. Hey, what do you know? <laughs> it would have been called One Hat. <laughs> Even a new hat can't fill the hole in your heart. Jedi Master, or the evil Darth Maul. You haven't experienced Star Wars until you experience the electronic Qui-Gon Jinn and Darth Maul. Each sold separately. Experience the spectacle. Feel the excitement. Share the fun. Take the journey. All over again. Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. Rated PG.
And these last points, too accurate for sand people. Only Imperial stormtroopers are so precise. podcast reviews guess what if you listen to this show on some sort of apple something if you listen to apple podcast or whatever go over there after you get done listening write something nice leave us a five-star review it helps more people find blast points we love reading your reviews we've gotten a bunch of really great ones hopefully sometime in the near future we'll have time in an episode to read some of your reviews because there have been some really great ones, and thank you, and you should add yours to some of those really nice things that people have said. And make sure you check out our website, blastpointspodcast.com, and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you're on Facebook, make sure you're a member of the Super Chill Group. And if you want to support the show in a different way, we got the Blast Points Army on Patreon, where we're still doing Bad Batch recaps. Eventually, we will have a recap for The Bad Batch Episode 9, this rest of Bad Batch Season 2. Some wild stuff is going down, and we are going to be doing recaps for it all over there on the Patreon. And eventually, once Mandalorian Season 3 starts, we're going to start doing Mandalorian Season 3 commentaries. Busy, busy, busy times. And if you are a member of the Blast Points Army, thank you so much. But that wraps up. Number 345 here. The tone poems of the Phantom Menace. Yeah, right? Like, I just want to watch Phantom Menace now. That's, like, all I want to do. Yeah, it's always a good time. I want to get a box of Krispy Kreme donuts, watch the Phantom Menace, and then pass out and drool on myself. Do you really, though? No, I might die. (laughs) I was younger then. Yeah, that's a young man's game. (laughs) Maybe when we do Celebration from Home. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe we'll have an ambulance in my driveway ready to go. So, on that note, everyone, thank you all so much for listening, and we will talk to you again next week. Bye bye. May the force be with you. Goodbye, old friend. May the force be with you. time and then the boy leaves to go find somebody named Lars and then I'm sad again <laughs> told, 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 told. may the force be with all of you